Blog Talk Radio. Straight Talk Radio, where we discuss business, politics, and culture. This is Donja Keating. I'm your host, coming to you live from the Seattle area. It's about 1 p.m. Pacific Daylight Time on Monday, July 22nd. If you are listening live and you want to join the discussion, you can call in at 929-477-2404. We'll see how it goes. Uh, different opinions, as always, are fine and acceptable here, but anything that's nasty is just going to get airlocked. So um, this issue blew up in our inbox and through Facebook Messenger. So my producer and I quickly got together to schedule a show. And um, for me personally, it was an important topic to to address because it led to a major life decision. So um, I'm going to set the stage here. And before I do that, I want to see who is out here so I can bring them into the discussion. Uh, Hello, who's out here? Charles is here. Hi, Charles. Welcome. Welcome. So, again, um, four freshman Democratic congresswomen, they've been battling with Nancy Pelosi, and they are labeled the squad. So these women are considered radical leftists, and they're strongly disliked by conservatives, but but also others. Um, Last Sunday, Trump jumped into the fray, and he made some tweets, uh, which said they should go back to their countries to fix their governments, saying, you know, you can't leave fast enough. So I'll I'll read the full tweet, and then we can kind of go from there. Um, so interesting to see progressive Democratic congresswomen who originally came from countries whose governments are a complete and total catastrophe, the worst, most corrupt and inept anywhere in the world, if they even have a functioning government at all, now loudly and viciously telling the people of the United States, the greatest and most powerful nation on the earth, how our government is to be run. Why don't they go back and help fix the totally broken and crime-infested places from which they came, then come back and show us how it is done? These places need your help badly. You can't leave fast enough. I'm sure that Nancy Pelosi would be very happy to quickly work out free travel arrangements. So that's the uh, full tweet. And before I get started, I just wanted to jump in and say, Charles, what are some of your thoughts about that? Oh, I think it was a stupid comment, obviously, because, you know, most of them are from the United States. They're not from other places. And I think it's it's just kind of one of those things that, you know, comes across as a slur. Oh, you're a person of color. Go back to where you came from. And that's kind of how it was interpreted. And I mean, there's always spin around these things, but I just think it's. Uh, I, I wish I wish the debate was around uh, policies and not the stuff that we got right now. Yeah, the first thing that stood out for me was also that he's talking to three people who were actually born here, um, and one of them is a naturalized citizen since she was 12. But you know, telling them to go back to where they came from, particularly with the American-born Congresswomen, I found it was really, frankly, idiotic. And it's not something that a leader of this nation should be saying to anyone simply because he wanted to defend Pelosi or because he didn't like their politics. And 
you know, frankly, he's dreaming if he doesn't acknowledge the issues that our country has had for centuries, including corruption and poverty and crime and bigotry. Now, it's the land of the free, and it's the home of the brave without a doubt, but it's certainly not perfect. So, you know, I, I, more importantly, being able to question and challenge government and leaders elected to serve the people is a duty, and it's a right. It's not something which should be undermined by the highest office in the land. And even if you do come from somewhere else and you're not you know, an, an American citizen initially, committing to that kind of entitles us to ensure we have the best country we can co-create together. I mean, you don't have to go back some to some other place because you're taking someone to task. I mean, here – we elect leaders to serve our interests. So, of course, we're going to speak up. We're going to disagree about how that looks. And, you know, the sad truth is half of us don't vote and have tuned it out. So imagine what can happen if more of us participated. I mean, we really haven't even cleared our throats, and people can't handle the full impact of representative democracies or, or republics. So I think that that uh, was a very unfortunate comment. Uh, it was more than just, you know, political disagreements or whatever. It was, it was just something that uh, really shouldn't happen. Any more thoughts from you? Um, I think the other thing that is a problem is in the discussions, I mean, it seems like it's okay to just make up facts and resort to ad hominem or personal attacks or, you know, it's like, okay, if three of the four are from here, why are you even talking about going back to your country? And lastly, if you're a congressman from the United States and you are eligible to run for, for office, People from other places, it's not like America doesn't allow people who have come from other places and become citizens and can uh, actually run and attend Congress to not have an opinion. Um, I, I just think there's just a lot of going on the attack thinking that's going to create an advantage. And that's not – it goes against, like, like you say, the America having the ability to discuss different uh, issues it's like we're so busy, at, you know, trying to attack for advantage that we're not having a discussion of issues anymore. You know, and as can be expected, I mean, faction squared off with the left condemning him and the right finding excuses to condone what he said. And, you know, even citing, you know, some people cited free speech. But interestingly enough, you know, the U.S. Equal Employment Opportunity Commission, the EEOC, specifically cites that phrase you know, go back to where you came from, is the type of language that could violate anti-discrimination employment laws in certain circumstances. You know, the phrase is nearly identical to what Trump wrote in his tweets, you know, and it says, ethnic slurs and other verbal or physical conduct because of nationality are illegal if they are severe or pervasive and create an intimidating, hostile, or offensive working environment, interfere with work performance, or negatively affect job opportunities. And examples of potentially unlawful conduct includes insults, taunting, or epithets such as making fun of a person's foreign accent or comments like, go back to where you came from, whether made by supervisors or by coworkers. Now, okay, so the federal anti-discrimination law, let's just be clear, it doesn't directly apply since the squad, quote-unquote, members aren't Trump's employees, but the spirit of the law was clearly violated here. And if you're talking about a federal law and here's someone that's in charge of the, the, the country, you would think that they would at least appreciate the spirit of that. And on top of this, there's so many people, um, particularly those of color, who've been made to feel unwelcome in this country, and they have memories of being told to go back to where they came from. Um, I haven't personally heard it often in my life, but I've heard it, and um, in my opinion, even once is one too many. So um, I think the danger with comments like these is that they embolden factions who are already uh, predisposed to hostility. 
towards certain groups. And, you know, I'll get into some other comments and thoughts that I had about the FBI and uh, stats, but I just wanted to ask you a question regarding, you know, have you ever been told to go back where you came from, or have you ever found yourself in a conversation where you've you've said something like that to someone? No. No. I mean, um, no. I mean, I've never said it to anybody, and I've never been in a conversation where somebody said said it to me. Um, I would say it would be extremely rare that I'd ever even be in a you know extremely hostile or confronting environment. But I've seen, I've seen subtle and sometimes not so subtle behaviors that discriminate against people, and I'm not happy about that. Being in an interracial relationship, and uh, it's, it's it's hard to call people out when they're doing things. But I think this is pretty pretty obvious stuff. So, and I think it's, it's mm-hmm. there's kind of a callous disregard. I don't think he's not aware of it. I just think he's doing things on purpose. Like, okay, I'm going to rile everybody up. Let me do this, you know. And I don't even know if it's you know really top of mind or if it's just his natural. It doesn't really matter. It's like I think the problem here is we've kind of lost our moral center as to like, okay, we we disagree or agree on policies we may you know vote one way or the other on different things you know sometimes the republicans are in charge sometimes the democrats are in charge give and take fine but we seem to have lost the idea that give and take between the parties is okay the extremes have been uh, battling out for control for a long time even inside their own parties and now it's this is kind of a manifestation of that and i think both parties are at fault sometimes for uh, you know, the extremes, although I will, you know, give Nancy Pelosi credit for saying, you know, hey, look, when the four have their own extreme views and we and we as a as a group, you know, have decided we want to try and do something to work and move forward, that's fine. We don't have to follow every every individual's um, every individual's not in charge. You know, if you got four votes, you're not driving the agenda. So I give her credit for saying that. Yeah, and, you know, some of, some of the comments or responses um, to this is, you know, oh, well, he was upset and they, they were disrespecting him and things like that. But, you know, you, you could play that, that premise out to its extreme and say, okay, so you're you're in a discussion with people that you um, disagree with philosophically or ideologically or whatever, and that person happens to be of color and you lose your temper and you call them the N-word or something. Okay, so the, the, the ends don't justify the means. And so it kind of begs the the question of how are you going to behave uh, in a situation uh, where you are diametrically opposed to someone, and how do you conduct that conversation with civility, hopefully, but also with the goal towards, especially if you're an elected official, you know, we're trying to get things done for the American people, and this is not getting it done. Uh, but the danger with comments like these, you know, which is which is my issue with it, is that they embolden factions who are already predisposed, like I said before. And according to several sources, there's an upward trend of hate crimes in many parts of the world, and there's a rise of white nationalism in the United States. And um, this past April, the House Judiciary Committee said that it was going to hold hearings to investigate this, including racially and religiously motivated violence, because the number of incidents involving hate crimes has been increasing for a third straight year in 2017, according to FBI data. 
that was released. And so they, it said that hate crime incidents rose by 17% in 2017 compared to 2016. And then from 2015 to 2016, you know, there was like only a 5% increase. So, you know, when you look at comments on social media, especially from people you know or people that are friends of yours and they think it's a joke or, you know, they, they reduce it to like a, you know, political difference or some type of political warfare or theater, and they're so focused on partisan warfare that they miss or disregard the larger, larger implications, it's kind of a, a, a really jarring, and it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a WTF moment for sure. Um, so, you know, you were talking about Pelosi, and to me this isn't about whether or not you're a Democrat or a Republican um, or whether you voted for Trump or whether you agree with the squad. And, you know, it's not about patriotism because if it truly was, it would be in support of the ideal that as Americans we have a responsibility to speak truth to power and challenge our government. And that's how America was formed after separating from Great Britain. And I think what's interesting to me is how some Americans can celebrate Independence Day weeks ago and then allow themselves to become so consumed that they willingly abandon a linchpin, a concept so vital to their own existence. It's just stunning. So I don't know. Yeah, I think there was a, I mean, uh, like I don't, I don't agree with the the, the the gang of four or whatever when they do things like you know I think we should have a seventy. I think the the problem a lot of times is we've lost the art of working in moderation with each side, and that's that's what I hope that you know when when it comes back to it's like right now it's just there's a lot of scoring points and it it really does happen on both sides, you know, um, there's. And I wouldn't make it equivalent um, because I'm not following every little thing. You know, did they say something that made the president mad? Probably not. Probably. You know, did he say something that he shouldn't have said? Absolutely. I mean, but am I following the back and forth? You know, it's it's so gross right now. No, I don't follow it all. Um, but I do know that part of, I think, what this has led to is, is like, you know, when you discount people, you create a lot of problems. And that happens on both sides. You can't discount people who want to have the government function better for us. You also can't discount, you know, huge sections of the country because maybe only the coasts matter, right? And so people in the middle of the country have felt for years that they've been discounted like like flyover country doesn't matter. Well, really, it does. You can't discount people, and you can't discount California, New York, Texas, Florida, Ohio. You know, if you discount people, you're going to create radical that are going to fight to uh, for their livelihood and their existence, and we need to be more inclusive and not exclude people. Yeah, it's definitely some of that stoking the you know and fanning the flames of fear. Um, you know, you talk about how you want the president of the United States to behave, and you know there are obviously people out there who think Trump is telling it like it is, and he's kind of their voice because they feel like they've been uh, disenfranchised or, you know, like you said, you know, flyover states or whatever for so long, and that you know they're we've been overcorrecting in a lot of ways, and I don't entirely disagree with that. Where you know everybody's a racist, and you have to be so careful about what you say, and you know the PC police, and this gets you know taken off of the charters of schools, and you know it's kind of you're trying to balance things and trying to make sure that everyone's needs are met but you know i think that sometimes we have to we have to stop being a pendulum and i don't think that we've been able to do that yet but um 
I think that, you know, with respect to Trump, you, people are, it, it doesn't even have to be Trump. It's not just him. It's other people and how they're behaving. It's some of our congressmen and women. They're just over the top as well. And, you know, this whole impeachment thing, that's another story for another time. But, you know, they've kind of lost their way in trying to, uh, you know, bring something like that <laughs> forward. But the point is, you can be straightforward without surrendering your dignity and insulting your citizens and colleagues and debasing yourself while treating the political arena and office like a reality show on television. And, you know, friends I've had for a very long time have been right in the thick of it. Like you said, you weren't even following it back and forth. And I don't either because I work on the Hill and work in this arena, and you can't get lost in the weeds, I mean, because that's not how – and we just got back from D.C. as an example, and that's not how they're operating. I mean, you go there, and it looks normal. People are going back and forth for their meetings. They're sitting in their you know, their forums, and they're trying to come to agreements. And then you've got this other overstructure that's part of the media and social media where they're being – you know what's happening there is being interpreted and pushed out to you know to the masses and then they're reacting and that's not what's really happening so it's like two different worlds you know operating side by side it's very odd but i think that um you know it's a very painful in life changing times that are occurring here where people are parting ways because you know, it's not just because of political disagreements. It's because people don't care, and they refuse to see that they're potentially endangering lives. That is so critically important, and they can't appreciate that because they don't say they don't face the same issues in our society. You know, they just don't. And at the end of the day, you have to decide. You know, without calling everybody racist and and making sure making everything about racism, you basically just have to decide if you want to be a force for good in an increasingly toxic environment, um, and what you want to model not only now but for your future generations if you're raising children. And it's a very personal decision which requires some some really deep and honest introspection and self examination. So. Um, you know, that debate about whether or not Trump is a racist or if his tweets are. I mean, I knew Trump in a former life. I talked about this several times on the show. We got along fine. I don't know what he is or isn't. I don't care. That isn't where I'm coming from in this um, and being eager, eager to label people. Um, I know racism exists in the world, and I think it always will. So it wouldn't surprise me if he was, but I also know people who don't have to be a racist to say or do racist or bigoted things. And so um, – it's been around for ages. It'll it'll continuably be. Some people think that it's been a resurgence because of Obama, but you know, I guess that depends on where you sit. I mean, the belief that everything was so much better before him is both true and false. I mean, we focus on the N word and skinheads because they're more overt and in our face, but for many, you know, the more pervasive, mundane, insidious forms uh, never really went away. So, um, and no, then of course, it didn't. you know, it, no, it didn't. And I guess. I don't know. It's worth acknowledging the the fact also that some people didn't just dislike Obama's policies, and I wasn't a fan of many of them myself, but they hated him. They hated that he was black, and they said so. So, um, but I'm not here to agitate. Yeah, I think. And uh, yeah. Well, I think you know some make this big thing that he was the person that made race relations worse, and that that's that's a crock, because you know first off, if you go back to the '60s, I mean. People were gassed, and they had separate fountains and everything. I mean, you're talking about pre-Civil War era that, you know, there was not equal rights. Um, it was in the law, but it wasn't being exercised. And when, you know, the Civil Rights Revolution came around the 60s and the 70s, I mean, you know, the fires were burning. But even since then, um, we are still working through institutional discrimination and 
and personal. And I, I think the thing that has struck me is how casually we can flip around uh, messages on social media that are very careless. It's become very easy, and, and that's why I think for me I see these issues are so ingrained is because we keep perpetuating. We keep renewing it. Um, it's not just enough. I mean, people will say, yeah, I'm not a racist, but then they'll push something out there that in its heart has, has a message that, you know, constitutes racism, you know, that makes people afraid of blacks or pokes fun at them or makes them look stupid or threatening, I think is a big thing. So as a result, you know, it perpetuates, you know, people's negative feelings around race. And it's very difficult to see. It's like you got to get everybody on board, not just individual. You know, just, you got to get everybody on board to say, "Look, we got to stop. We got to stop feeding the trolls and letting the trolls feed us and repeating the messages." You know, it's true. I, I it's, it's people are so. I think that the reason why, when you're trying to talk to people you know and care about about this, and they resist it and they become so defensive, is because they think you're calling them a racist. And you know, for me, like I said before, it's not about that. It's it's more about understanding that there are people who are. And this type of language from our nation's highest office emboldens them. And if you participate in that, then you're part of the problem and not the solution. And, you know, I had one friend who, you know, had had a right to his opinion and said, hey, I don't think this is racist or whatever, which isn't, again, where I was coming from with this. And then he participated in more conversations somewhere. I didn't see them. But through his own process of self-discovery, he wrote me and said, okay, that's it. It's time for lunch. You know, I need an education, and I think you can help. And it was just his willingness to have that discussion. Like I said to people, I don't know where it's going to end up, but the fact that he was willing to have that instead of sitting there for hours in a discussion defending himself, I mean, like other friends have done, I mean, it, it shows that someone's at least at least willing to, to, to revisit something, and they're open to changing their mind, and they're open to possibly even changing their behavior if they understand the full import or impact of it. And... You know, I, I was in this discussion with somebody else about this, and I said, you know, it's kind of like someone that's taking you on a drive, and, you know, they're white and you're a person of color. And it could be the other way around, depending on the environment. But, you know, you're driving me into an area that's known for war-torn, you know, uh, activity, and I'm telling you that there's a war ahead and you shouldn't take me into that territory, and you keep telling me to look at the scenic drive that we're on right now. It's just a, a level of cluelessness that just says, I'm getting out of the car and I'm never driving with you again and goodbye. Because the very basic consideration here is that POTUS, no one, no one should be telling any citizens to leave or go back to wherever they came from because they are just being questioned or challenged. It is a melting pot by intention here. And, you know, have you ever looked at the entire uh, saying that's on the stat? We've been to the Statue of Liberty together. Have you ever looked at, you know, what it says there? No, no, I haven't. I mean, I get the general gist. You can't create an unsafe work environment, whether it's through language or threats or sexual advances and things like that. I mean, we, we're, we're obviously clearly in a phase where we are working out whatever the next level of this stuff is going to look like. I, I think of Me Too. I think of how that's come to the fore. You know, I think of, you know, Black Lives Matter. We are trying to get to the next stage and 
um, I, I, I think it was somebody who said it some, recently. It says, you know, nobody willingly gives up power. Nobody willingly gives up power. They don't just say, oh, okay, civil rights, we want you to feel better. Here's some power. No. <laughs> People have to fight for their rights, and it's a very painful adjustment process you know, until there's a new normal created. And I think we're in that process. You know, it's kind of interesting because I lived on the East Coast for a few years, and, um, you know, it's like anything else. You go live somewhere and you take it for granted, and then, you know, you realize, oh, I'm leaving now. I guess I should go see the Statue of Liberty. Um, and I remember going um, and standing there after getting to Ellis Island and trying to, I think you, I think a lot of us end up doing it, but you, you try to imagine what, what it's like when you get there and you're being processed and you're trying to become an American citizen from someplace else and you see those words and you know, I just it's kind of the way that you felt when you when we went to Washington D C and you were sitting there looking at the the Lincoln Memorial and it just you know, you got pretty emotional about that. But you know, the words, I mean we always hear the give me you're tired or whatever, but the whole thing, I'm gonna read it now. Not like the brazen giant of Greek fame, with conquering limbs astride from land to land. Here at our sea-washed, sunset gates shall stand a mighty woman with a torch, whose flame is the imprisoned lightning, and her name, Mother of Exiles. From her beacon hand glows worldwide welcome. Her mild eyes command the air-bridged harbor that Twin Cities frame. Keep, ancient lands, your storied pomp, cries she with silent lips. Give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses, yearning to breathe free, the wretched refuse of your teeming shore. Send these, the homeless, tempest-tossed to me. I lift my lamp beside the golden door. And I look at that, and I think, does any of that sound like go back to your shitholes and go back to where you came from? I mean, it doesn't. And America, love it or leave it, it's a jingoistic slogan, and it has sentiments that I mean, we remember it from, you know, the sense of McCarthyism during the 1940s and 50s or during the Vietnam War against anti-war protesters. But it really predates, it predates that, I mean, this whole sentiment. And, and yeah, we can talk yeah. about free speech. But the counterpoint to me is just because it can be said, should it be? No. No, it shouldn't. And, um, you know, we're founded on immigration. I think there's an interesting disconnect right now on immigration. And – and, and there's immigration and there's illegal immigration. And people say, oh, maybe we shouldn't allow illegal immigrants to just come pouring across the border. I get that. But we're also dealing with worldwide situations such as extreme violence and disruption in Central America, where people are basically literally fleeing for their lives, you know, from fear and, uh, you know, drug gang wars and, you know, some of the highest level of murder uh, in the world is right now in Central America, San Salvador, Guatemala, places like that. So people are literally fleeing for their lives, hoping to get opportunity in the United States. And on the other side of the coin, there are people who say, hey, they shouldn't you know, be given any rights because they're here illegally. And the second thing is, well, if they do get in here and they do, you know, they're going to take our health care and our jobs and all these other things. And that's like, first off, the immigrants coming across the border are typically not walking right into your jobs. Second off, I can understand, you know, the rule of law issues. But third off, what happened to our ideas were the beacon of liberty, like you're saying? And we've been stronger as a result of allowing immigration. I know that some of my uh, uh, companies here, 
rely on uh, casual labor or labor from people that is, you know, generally migrant populations and stuff like that. People aren't going to go out in the fields and pick salal, you know, on the mountainsides and stuff like that. That's not what, you know, the typical people running, you know, doing jobs here do. So there's a, a huge disconnect, and I think it's based upon fear. They're thinking, you know, if these immigrants come, it's going to be so horrible. You know, everything's going to go to, you know, to H in a handbasket, you know. And it's like, no, um, I think we we need to manage it, but we could do a much better job of managing it than we do. And right now, I think, you know, throwing people in cages in order to make it so horrible as to deter immigration is kind of a strategy. And uh, it's kind of an ugly one. And I think it goes, again, against the grain of, you know, kind of representation of what America represents as an ideal. Also, that damages our international standing as a place where people come here for opportunity. So I, I, I'm hoping that we can change this equation sooner rather than later because I think it's damaging the goodwill and the moral capital of the United States. Um, and I think there's a better way. I think there's a better way to do it. You don't have to fling open your borders and let everybody come pouring in. You know, we try to manage the numbers, but we're not responding to the humanitarian disaster that's happening uh, worldwide. We need to do a better job. And I, I you know, that's, that's such a, um, a more uh, dense topic that I probably might want to cover at a future time about immigration and, and everything. And I have some sentiments yeah. about that um, that are going to be popular and some that aren't going to be. And, you know, I kind of run somewhere in the middle where it's, you know, yes, of course, you know, we have to welcome, you know, people that are trying to escape, that are trying to seek better opportunities. But we also have to have effective policies um, so that people aren't just climbing the, you know, the the, the fences and, and, and kind of coming in here illegally in droves and then overtaxing our system and then we can't take care of them properly. And then when we to, we do try to implement that, then it, blo- it you know it creates some blowback because it's it's a very, very poor way of doing it. And, and another example of that would be, you know, Gitmo. I mean, there, there are some intentions and then there's consequences. And I think that we need to um, look at that. And, and it's very difficult to do because there's such um, – partisan posturing right now and so much information, um, misinformation, I should say, that's going out there through media for people that really aren't on the inside and that don't know any better. And so they resort to their, you know, to what they're familiar with. Um, and there was a comment that came in uh, during our discussion that was, you know, basically the, the typical, you know, well, apparently you uh, support the squad and the Antifa. And it's like, look, here's the deal. The fact that someone is criticizing what happened with Trump and go back to where you came from doesn't mean that I also condone some of the hyperbole or the anti-Semitic or anti-Israel statements made by those on the left. I don't. I don't agree with calling detention centers concentration camps and likening the Border Patrol to Nazi prison guards, which minimizes the millions who were uprooted from their homes and tortured and exterminated. I absolutely do not support that. I also don't support or condone Antifa violence. I mean, it's you know, the thing about that's interesting here is, and I've said this many times in recent discussions with you and colleagues and friends, is we'll sit and watch a sports game, and we expect the umpire or the referees to fairly call fouls, strikes, balls, you know, when something's out of bounds or whatever. But when citizens step yeah. outside of the constraints of partisanship and we work to objectively assess our political landscape and challenge each major party so our leaders are held accountable – then we become outsiders who are attacked from both ends. I, I don't get it. Um, 
we need to, and I think there was something that we saw, I forget who it was that said it when we saw some political documentary, and it comes down to this. We need to be able to call balls and strikes here. And yep. unfortunately, what I'm seeing in this, this arena is that you know the Republicans don't want to hold their people accountable. The Democrats don't want to hold their people accountable, but they each want to bash you know, the other side and bash supporters from the other side, and it's not getting anywhere. It's a race to the bottom, and we're yeah. circling the dream. Well, interesting. an interesting thing that kind of came up was, you know, the president's one of the president's roles to basically to be the moral leader of the United States, right? He's in charge. Um, and when it comes to Congress, there's 435 congressmen and 100 senators. So, and I, I think the United States has always had, you know, some outliers when it comes to Congress, right? I mean, most of them are very reasonable and, you know, work, work both across the aisle and do different things. But, you know, there's, there's been, there's been radicals and outliers in Congress and usually they don't have as big a voice, but somehow it's magnified because of social media. So four congressmen can all of a sudden, you know, start to dominate um, the national discourse because of the amplification of social media. And I don't think that was what was always intended. I'm not saying that some of their messages don't have validity, but a lot of it doesn't. No, I don't support the anti-Israel. I don't support a lot of the things that they're saying. I think I mentioned tax rates is one of the things, too. But, you know, they don't have, in my opinion, the same role in shaping the discourse or should not as the president does. And, and so the back and forth is kind of asymmetric. In the end, though, I think it's gotten to the point where it's kind of like you want to hold both sides accountable to say, shut up. Start acting like adults, and let's work this out. Now, if you can't work it out, then, you know, follow the rules of Congress and what you can do and what you can't do. And I think, like, for instance, one of the things is I think a lot of the Democrats would love to impeach Trump, but it's kind of like some are saying, but not let's not do it because, you know, you start flipping these things out casually and using them as weapons to try to gain advantage. Well, guess what? When the next party's in power, they're going to use it against you, and it's going to be tit for tat, back and forth. And we're just going down a path of, of, of attacking each other, that's not going to be good in the long term. So, you know, and the, the Republican Senate's not going to impeach Trump unless he commits some some obviously bold crime that, you know, they can't deny. Or, so guess what? You know, let's just try to live through the next few years and have an election and see what, where the cards lie. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I think this whole thing where, you know, you see comments – you know, that are coming through like, you know, oh, you know, the the snowflakes and, you know, he people need to be nice. And it's like, this is not about being nice. This is about being ethical. Um, you know, this is not about, you know, whether or not people are snowflakes. I mean, if, if somebody wants to stand toe-to-toe with me on the line and joust and go back and forth, I'll, I'll, I'll dance with the best of them. But the bottom line is... You know, we have to choose at some point, you know, where we're going to be. This is a choice we have to make about what world we want to leave behind for people that we care about. And, you know, we have to start listening to each other. We have to start resolving these issues. And instead of dealing with, you know, the perceptions or the projections of what we think people are saying and what they believe, we have to start listening to them. Because, you know, in my work, I see all the time that people are so much closer to thinking along the same lines than they believe. And it's just a question of what that solution is going to be. Um, And their whys might be different, but at the end of the day, they're all trying to 
They're all trying to, to, to survive. They're all trying to thrive. And, you know, looking at this um, election and the fact that Trump is in office, I think that people think, oh, my God, Trump, he's the, the worst thing ever. And whatever. I mean, I'm not going to get into that in this conversation because I I know a lot about, you know, what's been passed and what hasn't and what's good and what isn't. But I would say that he has at least caused more people to engage in the political process um, and too many of our leaders, though, they want to win an argument. And in order to prove their policies are correct, they're trying to win a fight, which is different, um, by showing who's able to beat up the other person. This approach doesn't advance an agenda. It doesn't prove anything other than the depths to which we are willingly choosing to sink. So it's really about having uh, strong uh, and principled debates about the policies uh, and the impacts and how we can implement them without um, harming people. Uh, some people are going to get the short straw. It always happens that way in this system, but it just seems as if we're um, so busy just calling each other names. And he's mobilized the base. And I, you know, I've predicted to many people, I think he's got four more years. Um, and I think he's got four more years because the Democrats are so hostile and so angry um, and they're so uh, affair, afraid or fearful that they're striking out. And then, you know, his base gets mobilized and they strike back. And, you know, it's just unless there's some kind of uh, major uh, uprising of people who come in to vote and they, they vote out all of the, you know, the Republicans, I think that you're really just going to get four more years of Trump at this point because people really aren't paying it, as, as it much really attention. Depends. Yeah, it depends. It really depends. It really depends on if the Democrats put forward a more moderate candidate or somebody more on the fringe. If it's somebody more moderate, they're going to win in the cakewalk. If it's somebody on the fringe, then there's a good chance Trump would get back in. And I think they have to. And I think they're doing their own political calculations. They're trying to figure out how far to the left can somebody be and win. Um, and the reality is, it's not representing the interests of the people of the United States as well as it should. Um, but yeah. on the other hand, we also say, you know, oh my God, Trump is so horrible. It's like, yeah, but other countries have had people just like him. You can go to other countries where candidates that are in office you know, have been charged with murder and other huge crimes and, you know, you know, and being investigated and yet you're still in office. I mean, it's just, it's like, oh my God, we're having an experience of par for the course for the rest of the world. <laughs> and uh, yeah, we're, we're just yeah. not used to having this kind of thing here. <laughs> it's not a good thing for us. And we had that conversation. I mean, last year, you know, it depends. We have some friends that go to Europe and they come back and say, oh, my God, everyone we talked to said that, you know, what's wrong with America, blah, blah, blah. And yet that doesn't seem to be our experience. Um, you know, we were in Spain last year, and the, and no sooner had we landed and got, you know, went to a restaurant to have dinner, and we talked about this on the show before, where some people came up to us and they were like, oh, my God, welcome. You know, welcome to the world now. Now you have a president just like ours. You know, so they thought it was hysterical. They thought it was like, hey, you finally, you know, you guys have held, you know, the bar up so far in, in terms of having all of these, you know, statesmen or so you thought, and now you finally have a president who's as, who's as much of a clown as the, the presidents that we've had in, in, in Europe is kind of the way they put it. So, um in a lot of ways, they don't. Some people don't see him as the, you know, the boogeyman or the destructive force or whatever. So no, I mean, don't. I'm not going to. Not always. They, they don't. So I mean, whatever it is, it is. The point is um, that for the purposes of today's show, I mean, I think that 
you know, we need to to wake up as people and we need to decide where we want to be in all this and, you know, putting things on the Internet about, you know, people wearing, uh, you know, silk instead of cotton because it reminds them of slavery and they think it's a joke. And, you know, it's just, wow, what what are you thinking? I mean, what do you think your 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 children or your grandchildren are going to learn from this? What do you think they're going to come away with? They're going to come away with the idea that they can make fun of people who aren't like them, that they can make fun of and denigrate people who are from somewhere else, that they can look at someone and just dismiss any concerns they may have about trying to survive or live on in this country as people who are different. Yeah, I want to give a call My, out to Meryl Keating. Right. No, nope, don't do that. <laughs> nope, don't do okay, that. Okay, Meryl. Um, But I would say that, to your point, there is a movement out there of, you know, there are all types of movements, but there's a movement out there that's called Girl Up, which is where you're going, right? Yep, that was was it. And they had a um, leadership summit, and this is their ninth one, I believe, and um, it's it's part of the United Nations, and these girls came from all over the world: India, uh, Asia, you know, China, uh, Brazil. I mean, Africa, everywhere. And the thing that they have in common, no matter what their socioeconomic status, no matter what their education, whatever, is they're trying to make the world a better place, and they're trying to do that by empowering girls so that they can stand up for themselves and become leaders. And we were in Washington D.C. Yeah. to witness that, and um, we know, you know, there's a group here on Bainbridge Island that was formed last December, and there are members of that that were involved in um, that effort, including going to Capitol Hill and lobbying for um, some new laws and trying to pitch stories about what's happening with girls around the world to the Huffington Post. And um, that's where our head is at, you know, instead of looking at, you know, how we can tear people down and make fun of them on yeah. the Internet – or endanger their lives so that someone who is racist can go out there and say, oh, great, this is a permissive environment, and now not only can I tell some people like that to go back to where they came from, but I can harm them, I can hit them, I can beat them, I can kill them. And, um, you know, I, I'd rather not be on, on that side of history. No, I, I, I completely concur with you, and I have this sense of, you know, in the um, sense of geopolitics and power plays and things like that, and I see China rising using its resources to try to support regimes and gain interest in different parts of the country and in different parts of the world, I mean. Uh, but, yes, even in the country, um, they own a lot of stuff, and it's amazing how much they do own. But, but the women of the world, by empowering the women, America is a superpower when it comes to women's rights in a lot of ways. I mean, we still have more to go, but empowered women in the United States, you may think about the – you know the women's the women's soccer team. We're a world power, and it's not just you know in soccer. It's in so many things. So if we help empower women around the world, a lot of these regimes, a lot of them that are the nastiest, gnarliest regimes, not only suppress human rights, they suppress women's rights. And if we can support the women uh, in in their countries, there's a much better likelihood that we're going to improve our relations way down the line uh, between the United States and the rest of the world because of women's rights. So it's a good no, thing, not hope. just for the women. It's a great thing for us. So that's what I hope. 
Well, yeah, I mean, and there are some people, there, it's, and I think it, it, it comes down to the, the, the political partisanship again, where people look at it and say, oh, my God, you know, here we go. You, you know, there's more women in, in jobs than ever before, and there's more of this and there's more of that, and, you know, why are you talking about gender equality? And you kind of look at them and say, you know, the trunk is not the elephant here. There are so many other things that this organization is doing, and it just, why would you pick that fight? Because there are girls that have no education. They're not allowed to get an education. When they go out to get water for their families, they are um, you know, highly likely to be raped or, or, or violently assaulted. Um, they don't have food. Uh, you know, There's so many things that are happening with it. Some of them don't even have – they're not even counted. They don't have birth certificates. They don't have identification. Um, you know, the, the, there's so many other things that are happening in the world with safety and, and health care and everything else for these girls and there are young girls that are in high school and middle school and some in college who are trying to help this situation so why would you reduce this to an argument about whether or not there are enough people or women are getting more jobs in America why would you do that so I think that when you come across people like that I just you know I'm at that stage in my life where I just there's a wall that comes down and I just say I don't have time for this because you're not trying to um you're not trying to provide solutions. You're just looking for a fight. And, you know, it reminds me of the post. I don't go on the Facebook often for a lot of different reasons, but my most recent post was about this, you know, go back to where you came from. And, you know, I, I will leave this country if or when I please. And if somebody has a, an issue with that, um, then, yeah, you know, come to me and tell me to go back to where I came from. But, hey, you better brace for impact because – I'm at the point where you might not just get the diplomatic, don't you? I might just, you know, smack the hell out of somebody. So I think that it's time for people to draw a line in the sand, and I am drawing that line because I am done um, with the way that this society is, is people in it are debasing themselves. And I think we can do better, and I'm going to do better. And, 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 yeah, you're either with me or against me. And it has nothing to do with being a snowflake, but it has to do with being someone that has principles that is, is very, very, very committed to having a better world, period. End of story. You're here. Uh, do so, you have any more thoughts to add? Me. No, I think that that kind of covers it. All right. Well, thanks for joining us this afternoon. You can listen to this podcast on our website, iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, Player FM. We'll upload the show to our Facebook page, which is STRA Talk Radio. Sammy, Tommy, Roger, the number eight, and Talk Radio. This is Donya Keating. I'm signing off at about 1.45 Pacific Daylight Time on Monday, July 22nd. See you next time.